SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Well, A-teamers, welcome to it. It's the Monday edition, 21st of September. We are nearing the end of the month of September, but uh, it's beautiful to see that the weather has changed. Spring has definitely sprung. And I'm also very happy that uh, we are all, um, so far, acting responsibly under lockdown level one. As I've said, we are going to give you a jam-packed show. We'll be speaking about parental responsibilities and rights agreement versus a parental plan. So what are the differences? What do we need to know? Well, that's very important for us all as uh, those who are parents or would be parents. Remember the number that you need to dial right now if you'd like to send a voice note or a WhatsApp message on 0614-104-107. Alternatively, you can send SMSs to 41391 or you can call us in studio on 891 Alternatively, 11 Four five, and we'd really love to hear from you. Let me introduce our guest, who is um, a candidate attorney working in the Family Law Department at Vermeulen Attorneys, and that is Lee Lotch. Lee, thank you very much for joining us today. Good evening, Patricia, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much uh, for uh, just uh, giving us your time, and we really appreciate uh, Fermulan Attorneys for always giving us such great um, content uh, contribution. Let's talk about uh, the parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus parenting plan. Could you tell us what are the differences between the two? Yes. Look, I think one needs to start off by first explaining to people, you know, what is or what are parental responsibilities and rights? Um, obviously, it's, it's a lot of legal jargon, so it's not very simple for, for a layman to understand. But in, in basic terms, parental responsibilities and rights um, are dealt with in Section 18 of the Children's Act, um, and it obviously relates to things such as caring for a child, uh, maintaining contact with a child, acting as a guardian of a child, or even contributing towards the maintenance of a child. Now, parental responsibilities and rights, as you mentioned, um, there are two, two different agreements which are dealt with in our Children's Act. Um, the first thing, uh, or the first one is a parenting plan, and the second one is obviously a parental responsibilities um, and rights agreement. Now, the difference between the two, and you know, a lot of people don't actually know that the two exist. Many people only know that a parenting plan exists. But what a parental responsibilities and rights agreement is, is in essence an agreement whereby, for example, a mother of a child um, or any other person who holds these parental responsibilities and rights in respect of a child um, can enter into an agreement um, providing and consenting, you know, to another person acquiring such rights and responsibilities over a child. Um, these rights, obviously, or this agreement can be entered into between the biological mother of a child and the biological father of a child who does not necessarily have these rights, um, as well as any other person who has an interest in the care, well-being, and development of a child. Um, now, that is obviously the parental responsibilities and rights agreement, which you've stated. Um, a parenting plan, on the other hand, and I think this is the plan which, or the agreement, rather, that a lot of pe- people are familiar with. Now, the parenting plan is obviously an agreement um, between two parties whereby they obviously decide and set out how their parental responsibilities and rights 
um, are going to be exercised in terms of the or in terms of the child that that is being dealt with. Now, Lee, what I want to find out from you is let's uh, let, let, let's uh, paint the scenarios that make it easy for us as A-teamers to understand the difference between yes. the parenting rights and responsibilities and the parenting plan. Now, if a child is adopted, are these parenting plans or is this falling under the parental rights and responsibilities? Look, when a child's adopted, that's obviously a complete separate scenario. Um, when when we speak of a parenting plan, it's the actual rights and responsibilities which you acquire by law. So generally, like I said earlier, uh, generally the biological parents of a child are people who would acquire automatically acquire parental responsibilities and rights. More specifically, you know, the biological mother of a child. Um, the adoption, on the other hand, is dealt with completely separately. You know, that cannot necessarily be dealt with in a parenting plan, but it is dealt with um, on a separate. Uh, side note, if I, if I could say it like that. So adoption does not fall part of any of these two. Now, if one is um, a legal guardian of a child, but not uh, a biological parent, would this then be the parenting plan? Look, I would pr- personally, if I had to deal with it, um, I would say that you can roll that into, into a parental responsibilities and rights agreement. Because in terms of that agreement, you can then obviously... Um, like I said, you can acquire parental responsibilities and rights, so you can basically say what rights is this person going to have? Are they only going to have guardianship? Are they going to have care and contact of the child? Um, so they can set out specifically what are the rights that they want to um, give to the other person. So I think it would be better then to enter into a parental responsibilities and rights agreement and not necessarily a parenting plan. Okay, SAFM Late Night Conversations. We are talking to Lee Lodge, who is a candidate attorney working in the Family Law Department at Formulan Attorneys. We're talking about parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus a parenting plan. I'd like to hear from you, A-teamers, if you've embarked on the journey of creating any of these plans or agreements. The number to dial is 011-714-4045, or you can call on 089. If you'd like to SMS us, you can do so on 41391. SMSs are charged at 1,050 or WhatsApp us on 0614-104-107. Lee, let's come to the issue where you find that, and I know at, at, at some stage, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to one of your colleagues who was Elsa B. and Sintle who is also yes. an attorney and a mediator. And we spoke about when uh, the you know parenting rights are, are removed from one of the parents who is either AWOLD or who, who is not pulling their weight when it comes to the children. So now, when in that scenario, one of the parents have been moved from uh, their children's lives or child's lives uh, legally, and you get another partner coming in, what sort of agreement do you require for that partner? Do you need to draw up a parenting uh, a, a responsibilities or a parenting plan for the partner who is coming into the children's life as a step parent or a guardian? So um, in a circumstance like that, and, and we see this very often in, in the modern world that we live in where the, the actual biological father or biological mother of the child is not necessarily present in the child's life anymore. They then uh, meet a new partner and this partner just automatically becomes so good with the child and you know, basically becomes that child's father and mother that they didn't necessarily have. 
So in that in that case, they would have to enter into a parental responsibilities and rights agreement with this partner that they have um, to have them uh, or give them these rights that they need to have over the child. So if I can basically give you the bottom line of the difference between the two agreements, which I think will answer a lot of questions, is on the one hand, the parenting plan um, obviously will it used to govern how the parental responsibilities and rights, which you already have. It used to govern how, how those rights will be exercised. But with your parental responsibilities and rights agreements, it's used to acquire those rights which you don't necessarily have. So in this case that you mentioned where someone has met a new partner and they want to have parental responsibilities and rights over the child, it would then be best to enter into um, a parental responsibilities and rights and, uh, agreement with the, the biological mother or biological father of the child who can then obviously, you know, um, hand those rights, if I can call it, hand those rights over to you um, in respect of that child. Hi, Patricia. I have a question for your guest. I think before Corona, we we had a similar topic. My problem was that the mother of my child doesn't want me to see her. Before that, I had access to my daughter. She's one. She's going to be turning to December. So I lost my job last year, but I've been supporting since birth, and she even used my IUIF money till the end, but this year, January, she relocated to another place. But I was supposed to see her before my I see my daughter before Corona around March, but then during April, we had a, a disagreement uh, via WhatsApp and stuff. But what caused that was the fact that she did, didn't want to, she didn't want me to access my daughter. Now she's telling me that I cannot access it till I do the paternity test. So how can I get access to my daughter if she doesn't want to? Uh, I mean, if I haven't done the paternity test and be the fact that I'm not working, is there any way that I can get uh, legal assistance or help by the uh, by the magistrate there? to access my daughter while accessing my daughter and also getting the paternity test without me paying because I don't have money to pay. Besides that, even if I had little money, that little man is supposed to be supporting my daughter. Very, very uh, complex situation here. And I'm sure you're not the only one who finds yourself in that situation. Now, uh, Ali, maybe you can be able to respond uh, to this uh, multidimensional um, uh, issue that our ATMA is facing. Yes. I think, um, Patricia, the, the, the main thing or the first thing I would like to mention with regards to, to your caller's question is to first notify and, you know, to set the record straight because a lot of people have the misconception that maintenance and contact with regards to children are, are, are linked to say that if you don't pay maintenance, you don't see your child or if you pay maintenance, you can see your child. Now, firstly, the record must be straight, set straight to say that the two are not connected on any level. Regardless whether or not you pay maintenance, you are entitled to see your child. So that's the first point that I would like to raise. The second point that I would like to raise, you know, if, if this mom is now saying or claiming that he isn't the father of the child, it would be for her to prove and she would have to pay for a paternity test. Now, one must bear in mind that the paternity test um, or the DNA test that you have to do, it's not cheap. Uh, you know, some I've heard some people pay uh, around 4,000 rand for a DNA test to be done. So what I would advise your caller is to go to the nearest um, uh, magistrate's court in his area. 
um, or preferably to go to the children's court in the area where the, the child resides because that's how jurisdiction works in, in children's matters is wherever the child resides, that is the magistrate's court that will, will have jurisdiction over the matter. And just going to explain the situation to them just so that they can obviously open a file for him um, and investigate this matter and perhaps try and you know get him and, and the mother of the child to enter into parenting plan to govern exactly how they're going to exercise parental responsibilities and rights in respect of this child going forward. All right, let's go to our A-teamers on the line, Lee. We've got KGM holding. KGM, a very warm evening to you. How are you doing? I'm very well, Pat. Good evening to you and to your guests. And Where are you in South Africa this Monday <laughs> evening? <laughs> well, I'm in, a, in an area called uh, Viscus in the Western Cape. It's on the West Coast. I'm in a small town called Friedenbeck. Mm. All right, yes. I hope Friedenberg is treating you well, KGM. You can go ahead with your question. <laughs> Thanks a lot for taking my call. Look, let, let's turn this a bit on a, on its head. I'm of the view that uh, the, the law as it stands um, pertaining the, the, the current topic, it, it's rather biased to the Western norms. If you look at how we as Africans um, raise our children or even how we deal with issues pertaining to Patricia and KGM married as parents and and having to cordially go separate ways and how that situation has to be affected not to affect the children. It's contrary to, to the current laws where it's almost winners or we not take it, uh, take it all mentality. Um, my, my point is this. As the Englishman says, when the two bulls in the crawl battle, the grass is the one that suffers the most. So whatever mm-hmm. decisions that we take, do we, even our laws, they have this pendulation of saying they, they want things to be done in the best interest of the heart. Now, my question to your guest is this. If the law says uh, children should go to either of the two parents, what happens to the need, natural need of a child to have both biological parents parenting them um, to give them a balanced lifestyle. If you look at what happens today, I suspect that a lot of single parenthood has a huge role in producing the type of children that we have where you hear that a child, a minor has raped another minor, a minor has abused another minor. This is just a, a a thought that I would like to ponder to your, your guest and hear the view. Mm. Uh, Pat, thanks for taking my call. You know, KGM, before you, yes. you go, I think it's very important that, that you have uh, raised this particular issue. The fact that yes. there's the legal side and there's also the, the human element and perhaps we can also bring it to the traditional element of how um, a society is meant to be in inverted commas. How do you then best feel we could be able to curb this in a traditional can, way can, can i make an example with me i'm a, I'm a divorcee uh, as it is and one of the fundamental things for me to to take my jacket and walk I had, I had the western way of doing it and i had the cultural way of doing it as a man i said first first and foremost i, I don't want 
to had the mother of my children to a point where the children would now start being taught or being informed or being told how bad their father is because our first teachers is our mothers Mm. so as as a man for me it, it was very important to have that cordial parting of ways where i said to my ex-wife stay with the kids not forced by the law not forced by the estate stay with the kids allow me access as the biological father for us to parent them beyond our divorce now i found that to be very cordial in a sense that there was no lawyer that was facilitating i'm talking from a comfort zone because i managed to to resolve it in a very amicable way i am not oblivious of the fact that there are circumstances where uh, there's no co- i mean cordial way of doing things in other circumstances but I, I believe that if if we we look into and we consider not that just just the one way because my, my the reason why i picked up the phone and called was that listening to the topic it's more about what the law says Mm. As much as we have to respect what the law says, sometimes the law infringes on nature, infringes on culture, infringes on a way of life that existed before the law was. So I just wanted to uh, to say, shouldn't we balance the two and see where the parents' minds are at the time of their their divorce? Thank you very much, KGM. And also, I really appreciate that you have shared your personal experience on this. Let's allow Lee Losh to uh, respond. Lee, um, you've heard KGM extensively explain his circumstance and also just his um, viewpoint on how we should be looking not only at the legal aspect, but also on the human uh, aspect of how children and families should be raised. Yes. Uh, look, Patricia, so in terms of the legal aspect of, of for example, parenting plan, let me use that as, as the example that, I, that I'm going to discuss this point on. Um, in terms of the parenting plan, obviously we have the legal aspect and the Children's Act sets out, you know, what is a parenting plan, what are the types of things that it must deal with. So one must understand that the Children's Act is merely there as a guide, a legal guide to tell people how a parenting plan should be drafted. Um, a parenting plan, there's no set document, you know, that states what a parenting plan must contain, how it must look. Every parenting plan that I've ever drafted for, for my clients, it's unique to each and every family. Um, and I think that's also where the human element comes in to say that as much as the, the law can give you a guide as to how to, to set out your parenting plan and what are the things that it must contain, there is a human element. What morals and values are we going to install in our child? Now, the human element, and a big part of that, um, and I always tell, tell my clients this, you know, you, the two of you um, are in a business now. If you're not in a relationship anymore and you no longer love each other, and whatever the case may be, you're in the business of raising a child. And to move to that mindset might be difficult, but when you're running a business, there's many factors you need to take into consideration. And one needs to be adult about the conversation that you have with your your spouse. And and I like what what your caller mentioned, you know, they could sit down as parents and discuss what it is that they wanted for their child. Now, bear in mind, many families and, and spouses, when they separate, whether married or unmarried, they can't have that discussion. Um, and I think it's very important when we draw parenting plans to look at the legal aspect and the human aspect of it. But it also requires people to be very adult about 
um, what it is that they're going to have to do, and that's obviously raising the child and also ensuring that there is a balance, you know, that they have enough contact with mom, they have enough contact with dad. Um, there's no, there's nothing in our law that states this, but the idea is that you don't necessarily have the right to have a relationship with your child, but most importantly, your child has the right to have a relationship with you, and I think that's what people need to take away. Um, it's very important and crucial for a child to have, number one, structure, and number two, to have that personal relationship with you. It's very important as they become adults and, and they enter to the world that, that, that we live in. Let's go to another A-teamer. Remember, A-teamers, we are speaking uh, to um, um, Lee uh, Lodge, who's a candidate attorney working in the family law department at Fermulin Attorneys. And we'd love to hear from you as we speak about parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus a parenting plan. The number to dial is 0614-104-107 for uh, WhatsApps and voice notes or SMS 41391. And remember that SMS is a charge at 150. Hey, as we also do have a line where you can call me and also ask your questions directly to Lee Lodge. The number is 0891-104-207, alternatively 0111 714-4045. you've been holding on the line. How are you doing, Joa? I'm well, and how are you, my lady? I'm blessed. Thank you very much for asking. So, Joa, um, we're talking parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus parenting plans. What's your view or question? No, thank you very much, actually, for this very uh, important topic that you, you, you are talking about today. Uh, mine uh, is, is quite a, a, a very sad and short one. Uh, let me just try to, to summarize it. It's a long story, but let me try to summarize it. My daughter uh, went to go and left from this province to another province with a boyfriend. And then when she was there, she fell pregnant there. And then she, she went to the hospital for labor. After three days, after she gave birth to, to, to the kids, after three days, she passed on. Then I was called because my daughter was using my, 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 my name, even when I was not staying with her mother and with her, because she was staying with the, the grandparents of her mother. And then I had to go there and then help with the registration of the children and all those things and do the burials for my daughter. After that, uh, this young man, who is the biological father of the children, went there, and then he said, no, he does not want to see me anywhere near the children. So they started the process, you know, of giving the children to him. You know, he was not working. He was staying alone, and he had to go and look after the team. And then... They told me the process that, no, you need to find the family where uh, the children will go to stay and all those things. And every time, I think they tried three times to say this was the family, and then when they went to go and do the investigation, they, they found that, no, the people that were there on the list are not necessarily staying there, it's someone else. But eventually, they managed to get him to have the access of the children. After he has the access of the children, he used the address to say the children will be staying there. 
because they said it was my right to know where the children are as a grandparent. But immediately after he was given the children, he did not go there where, where, to the address that he gave there to the court and to the official workers. He went to another place. Mm. I think six months down the line, one of the things passed on. I did not know. I heard about the people that we saw something on the social media or the profile pic of other people that we know and all those things that one of the things has actually passed on. And indeed, upon my investigation, I discovered that indeed one of the things has passed on. As I'm talking to you today, I don't know where the other thing is. And I've been trying to speak to the social workers for them to help me, you know, as a grandparent of, of the children. Up until today, I don't know if that other twin is still alive and he does not want to take my my calls. Even the social worker that actually did the whole process, they are not just, no longer taking my calls now. What is that that I need to do? I think I'm, I, I also have a right here as a grandparent. I respect the issue of, you know, the biological father, but myself as well, as a grandparent, I think I also have an interest you know, in helping my grandchildren in a, any way that I can help. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Joa. Joa, maybe stay on the line in case Lee wants to ask you some questions around your story, okay? Um, Lee, you've heard Joa's issue, and Joa's not coming from a parent's point of view, but a grandparent's point of view. Very tragic issue that he went through, and deep condolences to uh, you, Joa, and uh, your family for losing your daughter and your grandchild. Um, but, Lee, what can be done? Yes, so Patricia, what what your caller can do or what I would propose that he do again is to go to the nearest magistrate's court from from what I could hear on your on on the call that he made. Uh he obviously isn't sure exactly where these kids are staying. Um so I would go to if I was in his shoes, I would go to the nearest magistrate's court. Um obviously all magistrates courts do have children's courts within them. Um, and go to the children's courts and just make an application. You know, um, people who have an interest in the care, well-being and development of any child, and in this case it's obviously the, the one twin that is alive still, um, you know, he can obviously go to the, the magistrate's court and make an application um, as someone having an interest care and well-being in respect of the children to find out where it is that the children are staying or where it is that this twin is staying um, is the child being looked after? You know, he did mention that the father isn't working, so it does raise the question, who is actually taking care of this child? And the third thing is obviously also to establish what is the, what context is it that he's going to be able to have with this twin that is left. It's very important that kids not only have a relationship with their parents, but also that they have a relationship with grandparents. Um, and I think people under, uh, tend to underplay that relationship with the grandparents, and, and it's actually very important. So I think he can just go to his nearest children's court or nearest magistrate's court in his area, um, explain the situation to them and just tell him or tell them at the court that he would like to make an application as a person having an interest in the care, well-being and development of this child um, to find out where it is that this child lives, to try and um, exercise contact with his child and also to see you know, if this child is actually okay and is being taken care of. And is it possible for Joa perhaps to even get to parental rights and responsibilities um, for the grandchild that is currently alive um, since the, the, the paternal father is not working? 
Yes, look, most definitely. Like I said, he's considered to be someone that has an interest um, in the care, well-being and development of the person. Remember, that can be a grandparent, it can be an aunt, it can be an uncle. Whoever actually has a concern over a child can make this type of application. Um, and some of the, the, the stuff that the court considers uh, when such an application is made is the best interest of the child. So this, this is obviously um, of importance, you know. Is the child being taken care of? How is the child? Where is the child living? All that type of stuff. Um, they also look at the relationship between uh, your caller and um, the child. You know, has he ever seen the child? Does he have any kind of relationship with the child? And any other factor that the court deems necessary and appropriate. You know, there's no set list. Um, but if there's any other factor that the court wants to look at, they will obviously look at those types of things. All right, Joa, um, do you have any responses or uh, questions uh, for Lee regarding the no. what she has told you now? No, no, thank you very much, uh, Lee, for, for, for providing that clarity to me. I think you just said a mouthful. Thank you very much, ladies, for helping me. I should be able to sleep because I know what to do now. Excellent. Thank you so very much, Joa, and good luck. Eh? Thank you very much. Let me go to A-teamers who are on uh, the SMS line and or WhatsApp line. And the one says, KGM makes a good point, but is on, it only happens in a perfect life. Divorce through the legal route is normally the last resort and is at most times acronymous, uh, unfortunately. People by that time are at each other's throats, making it impossible for an amicable solution. So this is obviously these are parenting rights and responsibilities become difficult after divorce. Yes, most definitely. You know, like I said, um, you find in a lot of these divorce cases, when the parents are fighting with each other, some of them tend to start using the kids as chips to get what it is that they want out of the divorce. Um, and it's sad to see it happen, but unfortunately, this is the reality in the world that we live in. But I think that is crucial where a parenting plan comes into place. You know, if they want to fight about the material things, let them fight about those material things. But what is important is that they get structure in place for these kids, um, you know, and stability. Divorce is already a very unsettling process for a child to have to go through. So if they can just agree on a parenting plan as to how this child can exercise contact with mom and dad in this new, I don't know, home that they're going to have to deal with, um, you know, then it makes it a lot easier, not only on the parents, but it also it gives a bit of, um, you know, structure to the children and, and how it is that they're going to have a, a new relationship with mom and dad. Mm. Let's uh, take a bit of a breather and we'll be back after this. We are talking uh, to Lee Lotch, who is a candidate attorney who deals with um, family law department at Vermeulen Attorneys. A-teamers, you are more than welcome to um, please come in and give us uh, your understanding or experience or questions on the particular topic that we are discussing, parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus a parenting plan. The number to dial is 011-714-4045 or 891 You can also SMS 41391 or WhatsApp 614 104 SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. 
104 to 107 nationwide. This is SAFM Late Night Conversations. My name is Patricia Ntudli. We are currently speaking about parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus parenting plans. And uh, later on at 11 o'clock, we'll have Zolega Kodasha giving us the final news bulletin of the evening. And after that, we'll be having our usual Monday clairvoyant medium um, sections where it's closer conversations. So no one under the age of 18 should be tuned in but it is clairvoyant mediums we have a new clairvoyant who's going to be joining us for this evening and that will be dr Ketelez. so make sure that you are tuned in call in and if you'd like your reading to be done the number to dial is 011 or you can call in on 0891104207 so for the current topic as we are speaking to lee lodge who is um candidate attorney working in the family law department at ferman attorneys talking about parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus parenting plan the number to dial again there uh, for whatsapps is 0614104107 now uh, lee thank you very much for staying with us let's talk about a guardian the responsibility of a guardian especially in the case where the legal parents have passed on and a guardian has taken over uh, the guardianship of children what are the responsibilities there and how what agreement is drafted or what act is used to make sure that this particular uh, guardian adheres to all regulations yes so as you mentioned, guardianship is one of or considered to be one of the parental responsibilities and rights in respect of a child. Um, parental responsibilities and rights, as I mentioned in the beginning of your show, is obviously dealt with in terms of Section 18 of the Children's Act. Now, guardianship is a big one. You know, uh, we can look past contact and care and maintenance, um, but the biggest one that, that people argue about a lot um, comes down to guardianship. Now, the reason being is the parenting uh, or the Children's Act, specifically at, um, you know, Section 18, uh, Subsection 3, specifically sets out what, uh, what the roles are that a guardianship or that a guardian plays um, in respect of them having guardianship over a child. Now, a person who's considered to be a guardian of a child has various roles or, uh, you know, things that they can do in respect of a child. So the first one, for example, is to administer and safeguard, you know, the child's property and property interests. Um, they can obviously assist or represent a child in any legal matters, contractual matters. They can give um, or refuse any consent by, required by law in respect of a child, including, you know, things such as consenting to the child's marriage, consenting to the child's adoption, consenting to the child's departure and removal from the republic. That is a big one uh, that, that we deal with a lot in practice, you know, where people want to immigrate to another country and you're now dealing with another parent who doesn't want the child to go over because they, they are guardian of the child, so they have a right to say whether or not they consent to the child's departure. Um, things like also consenting to the child's application for a passport, that's also a very common one that we deal with in practice. People want to go on holiday, dad or mom doesn't want to consent to the application for a passport, you know, what is it that we can do? So guardianship is a big one for the reasons that I mentioned. They, they, it covers all the things that I just mentioned in respect of a child, and that's what's considered to be one of the big facets of parental responsibilities and rights. I've got a question here from Atima who's asking, um, at what age can a child choose who he or she wants to live with on a more permanent basis? Yes. 
So to answer that question, there's no set age where a child can tell you they want to live with mom and they want to live with dad. One must remember that a child's uh, wishes, when taken into consideration, is also looked at taking into consideration their their maturity, you know, their, their age and stage of development. Some kids at nine are a lot more mature than kids that are aged 13, 14, for example. So there's no set age where a child can tell you, I want to live with mom, I want to live with dad. There's also the notion um, that a lot of people have in our law to say that a child has um, a voice but not a choice. Now, that's a tricky one because the child can say to you at the age of 10, they can be very mature because of their circumstances and they can know what they want. But what a child wants isn't necessarily in their best interest. That's another question that we have to ask. So to answer the question, there is no set age. We have to look at the maturity of the child, stage of development, the best interest of the child. They can say they want to live with mom, but is it in their best interest to stay with mom? That's a question, a legal question that we'll have to answer by looking at the Children's Act and ticking the boxes set out um, in the Children's Act. Atima Joshua is on the line. Uh, good evening, Atima Joshua. How are you doing? Uh, good evening, ma'am. Thank you for taking my call. Mm. Uh, I just want to make an... Uh, I don't want to take much of your time. I just want to make a comment and also share briefly my experience. Uh, I believe... Uh, both the parents are responsible for the child they bring into this world. So they've got to put their life on hold and make sure the child's life is being taken care of together as one. Because I'll tell you, this is what I have done in my marriage, and it's been a great success. I'm divorced. I'm 65-year-old, divorced for 20 years, still single, and my wife is still single. My three children, uh, one was married at 19, and he was living in Joba, then my wife moved with my two girls. One was 13 and the other 21. They were single and they moved to Johannesburg. And I was divorced 20 years ago. I was taking the responsibility. Those are my children. I got to take care of them. And with the result, what I have done is I took care of them, found a place for them, took care of them, provided everything for them while I lived in Devon and they lived in Johannesburg. And I used to go two weekends in a month and make sure they had everything. And my girl wanted to come and live with me, the younger one. And I had a meeting with my wife and her, the children, two girls together. And I said they couldn't come and live with me because I am going to work. The mother will be better to take care of them as a girl and be responsible. She And I will provide everything. And I left them with them and the girls are married. They're all married. They're living a beautiful life. I got all teenage grandchildren, and we get on well, and I still get on with my wife, and I still take care of her. And I believe you got to work in mutual understanding as parents because the children's lives are important. If you can bring strong mm-hmm. children into this community, irrespective, you are separated and divorced, you'll have a better country. Mm. God bless you. Thank you very much, Joshua, for sharing your story there with us. Um, what do you have to say about that, Lee Lodge? The fact that there's a man who was responsible and uh, thought of the best interest of the children and they consulted with the ex-wife, even though that one of the daughters wanted to stay with him. Yes. Look, I think circumstances like that are very rare. We we very rarely sit down with with parents who are on the same page in respect of raising the child, for example, um, so I think, number one, it's very rare to find people who can actually sit and discuss 
uh, the well-being of the child and what it is that they want for these kids. Um, so I would just, you know, encourage people, be adults about it, you know, as much as you don't like each other anymore, whatever the case may be, be adults about it and understand that the decisions you make are going to affect your children. So parenting plans are one of the things, you know, when, when parties come to me and they say, we just cannot agree on where the child should live, we cannot agree on who the child should live with. The first thing I say to them is, you guys need to get a structure in place. And by, and the way of doing that is by getting a parenting plan in place, having it made an order of court or registered with the family advocate, whatever route you wish to take, just get structure in place. You know, um, a little thing like a child having a routine, knowing, for example, every second weekend I'm going to stay by dad's house, it just gives them a bit of comfort. You know, it gives them reassurance that although mom and dad aren't really together anymore, they can at least discuss me and what's important for me. So, you know, big ups to your caller for the fact that he could actually discuss these things with his wife or his ex-wife. It's, it's very rare, Patricia, if I can say the least. Mm, definitely sounds like a rare scenario here. We've got another yes. question here from an ATM on SMS who says, What's happen- what happens when a mother gives a child a surname of her husband who's not the biological father? Can the court force the biological father to maintain the child? This is from Anonymous. Sorry, just repeat that question. The line broke up there for a minute. So what happens when the mother of a child gives the child the surname of her husband, who's not the biological father of the child? Can the court force the biological father to maintain the child? Look, firstly, that's a circumstance we don't really see often. What we do see often, however, is the mother giving the child her surname, especially if daddy's absent or dad wasn't there at birth, it, it was, you know, just he made mom pregnant and, and he sort of disappeared after that. So we don't really see circumstances where the mom gives the the, the new husband or the new boyfriend the surname. Um, but even in an event like that, again, that's where we'll have a, pre- a parental responsibilities and rights agreement coming to force. Um, you know, just because you hold someone's surname doesn't mean much. We have to on paper, say, I assign these specific rights onto you, care of the child, contact, maintenance. If you assign those rights onto that new spouse, then yes, you can hold them liable to be responsible for this child. But just having someone's surname, you know, it means nothing. Um, it, it doesn't really state what parental responsibilities and rights you have over that child. So those things need to be clearly defined in a document. Mm. Well, as we close off then, what are the sort of things that we need to look out for when it comes to us discussing parental responsibilities and rights agreements versus parental uh, planning? So the first thing that you need to look at, Patricia, is obviously the best interest of the child. Um, and what that entails, if you look at the Children's Act, you know, specifically at paragraph, um, not paragraph 7, uh, subsection or subsection 7 of the Children's Act, it deals with what we call the best interest of the child standard. Now, that is something that the courts look at very often. And if I can just briefly take you through what it entails, just so your callers understand, when we speak of best interest of the child, what it essentially means is there's a whole bunch of factors. It's, it's like a tick box that, that we look at. Uh, to say we look at what is the nature of the personal relationship between the child and these parents, you know. So that's obviously something we'll look at when we draft a parenting plan. It's something we'll look at when we draft a a parental responsibilities and rights agreement. Uh, We also look at the nature of the personal relationship between this child and any other caregiver, you know, for example, a granny or an auntie, an uncle. 
We also look at things like the attitude of the parents towards the child, you know, and their exercise of parental responsibilities and rights in respect of the child. So have they been there for the child? Have they taken care of the child? Have they maintained contact with the child? Uh, the other thing that we looked at, and I think one of your callers dealt with it a bit earlier, is the capacity of those parents to provide for the needs of the child. You know, that's very important. As much as you want to maintain contact with your child, one needs to understand, can you, do you have the financial means to take care of their needs? Um, we also look at things like the likely effect of any change in the child's circumstances. You know, uh, separation of the child from their parents, separation of the child from their siblings. So a big factor that you need to look at when, when drafting a parenting plan and a parental responsibilities and rights agreement are these six boxes which I've just taken you through, which is known as the best interest of the child. That is considered to be of paramount importance, and I think a lot of people have heard that term. It's, the best interest of the child is considered to be of paramount importance when dealing with any matters involving children. So if we can establish what is in the best interest of the child and we can draft those two documents around those tick boxes, I think will be good. You know, and you also need to obviously understand the legalities of um, your parental responsibilities uh, and rights agreements as well as your parenting plan in the sense that these documents, like I said, you know, it needs to be in writing. It needs to be signed by the parties to the agreement. Um, and also for them to leg be legally binding, they have to either be made in order of courts or be registered with a family advocate. So you cannot just sit down with dad or mom and, and sign this agreement and then it just lays in your cupboard. Uh, you need to sign it and obviously ensure it goes through the family advocate for their rubber stamp of approval, uh, where they'll basically say it's in the best interest of the children. But I think if it ever has to get to that point, you know, I would rather consult um, an attorney or someone, someone who has a substantial um, background on things like this to, to advise you accordingly and ensure everything you're doing um, is obviously done the legal way. Now, Lee, as we close off, uh, perhaps you could just uh, make sure that uh, all of us as A-teamers have a better understanding as to where we can get help when we need to draft such uh, agreements, whether it's the parental agreement or it is uh, the legal guardian agreement. Yes, yeah, so I think the first thing is if, if you don't necessarily have the money for a private attorney, and I do understand that we can be expensive, you can always approach your nearest magistrate's court um, especially the children's court sitting within the magistrate's court that you can make an application to say that you want the parenting plan drafted. Uh, they'll then obviously uh, advise your, your spouse or your ex-husband or your boyfriend or whatever the case is that you want the parenting plan drafted. Then the matter will be heard in court. Alternatively, if you have the funds for a parenting plan to be drafted, you can obviously you know contact a private attorney of your choice who will then assist you in drafting the parenting plan, ensuring that um, you and your, your, your partner agree on this parenting plan and then obviously ensuring that the next steps are done to ensure that it's made an order of court or it's registered with a family advocate. But yeah, look, if you don't have the money for a private attorney, you can approach your magistrate's court. It's free of charge. Um, alternatively, you can obviously uh, contact a, a private attorney to assist you. Excellent. Could you just give us the website for, for Mullen attorneys for those who need to get in touch with them? Yes, so our office line number, let me give you that quickly. That's 010-109-1089. Uh, we also have an emergency after hours uh, number, obviously only for emergency purposes, but I'm going to just share that with you guys in any event. It is on our website. 
Uh, that's 071-928-9997. And our uh, website is www.formelandlaw.co.za. Thank you very much, uh, Lee Losh. We really appreciate you and uh, the team at Vermeulen Attorney. Send my greetings and regards uh, to Elsa B and uh, to Mervyn. I will be, Patricia. Thank you so much for having it. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Let's move on uh, right now to Zolega Kodashe with the news update. Good evening, Zolega.